Okay, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. What was that? that was, I don't know. Was, I just trying to mix it up a little bit. I can't even say about. coming in hot. That was like coming in weird. It was. It was yeah. What's that? You know, kind of thing. You know. It, got no, that going I on? Do you? Nah, I don't know either. No, I don't. I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> I, got nothing. <laughs> I think we're back on track, though. I think we're back on track. I think you we have in the sense that we know what episode we're recording. I think it's 59. If you've been with us and, you know, been through the bumpiness of whatever the episode numbering mess up was, I, I, I'm going to take, I'm going to take blame. Although you tried to claim it last time. I think there's plenty of blame to go around, but I'm sure everyone listening is like screaming at their podcasting device. No, it's episode 55. You idiots. Right. No, this is 59. I'm pretty. No, no, I know this one's 59. I mean, when we had the, when we had the mistake. Yeah, so this is a uh, we're solidly into year two now. This is we are. you know, and it's awesome. It is awesome. It is awesome. This is yeah, season two. Season two. Yeah. yeah. Look at that. All right. I don't look at that. Good deal. All right. Good deal. Yeah. And we are still in in our. I think maybe this is the last of our four part series in the ambitious science teaching. Yeah. Stuff. I think this is it. This is this, this is the is third enactment practice, the fourth total practice. Right. Uh, so I think we're, yeah, we're uh, very, very close to moving on to a new uh, three letter acronym starting Who, next, yeah, next time. One, one of them, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Cause we're doing, we're doing, uh, I guess, you know, a bunch of episodes around inclusive practices and, and mm. what we can do in our classrooms. And so, you know, ambitious science teaching is an inclusive practice. And then we're going to move into uh, some, some other ones too, that we thought huh. we, we and if, if you have no idea what we're talking about, go back a handful of episodes. Cause we yeah. kind of introduced all of them, you know, as sort yeah. of like this, put them in the big bucket of inclusiveness, inclusivity, inclusivity, no, that's not responsiveness. I like responsive. Respo- I do like responsive too. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah great. I mean, basically the, the idea is that, um, that teachers should value their students. That's the yeah. that's the revolutionary idea that underlies this. What? That's a they novel should, concept. They there, should Scott. actually care and understand <laughs> that their students are individual human beings, not just a sea of uh, note taking devices in their in right. their classrooms. Yes, it's that death march with fun sauce. That's right. right. That's what we I, want to avoid. I have a bunch of auto transcribers in my room, and I just speak out loud, and they mm-hmm. just transcribe into their little notebooks. Yes, that was science for for you and I, probably, or for a, a good bit of oh, it. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, every once in a while, we did a lab where we had to follow directions, or you know, we get problem sets where we do like fifty of the same problem. Yes, because what happens if you change the coefficient of friction? Oh. oh. You got to put a different number in your calculator and that is complicated. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, I got through my first physics class completely with dimensional analysis. That's, that's how I got through it. Like I just, the, the, the teacher would say, well, answer, you know, the, the speed in meters per second. And I was like, okay, okay. How can I multiply all these numbers together to get meters per second? Blah, 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 blah. Blah, blah, and, then, blah, blah. and that was it. <laughs> there, it <is. laughs> there it is. I don't understand anything. Except dimensional figured, analysis. Right. And I figured if I could do that, then physics was going to be pretty easy. And yeah. I just went off and majored in physics. Tur- turns out. <laughs> it's a lot harder. <laughs> turns out I made it through a whole undergraduate degree with just dimensional analysis. <laughs> oh, gosh. I was so dumb. 
Oh, well, you know, it's, it's sort of one of the defining qualities of misinformedness. Yeah. Maybe not dumb. Misinformed. No, I mean, yeah, maybe that's a bit judgy, but yeah. So, uh, so practice number four, four, four? three of the enactment. Yeah. So make sense of this for me. So there's four practices, right? There's four. There are four. Four. And, well, four, but, technically four sets of practices, but okay. Okay. Gonna, but they're yeah. not considered to be necessarily like uh, hierarchical or chronological, right? Um, well, they're somewhat chronological in the sense that the first practice is a planning practice. So hopefully you do that one first uh, chronologically. Planning. Planning. Yeah. Planning. I mean, that's it's sort of in the title. You plan yeah. for the thing that you're going to do. So mm-hmm. you, you sort of have to do that before you do the thing, though. I guess you could plan retrospectively. There are people who do that, too. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, planning is the first practice or the and and then it it is its own thing and then there are three what they describe as enactment practices or practices that have to do with how you actually work with kids um and those are somewhat chronological in the sense that the first one focuses on eliciting students ideas and so that usually happens at the beginning of a unit you usually do some kind of elic- elicitation big elicitation lesson where you're really trying to figure out what kids know and can talk about um regarding the phenomenon and then there's supporting their ongoing thinking, which is in the middle bit, which makes sense because that's sort of in the middle where you're, their, their thinking is ongoing. And then today we're going to talk about pressing for evidence-based explanations, which is sort of the end point, which is bringing it all together, usually involves assessment of some kind. Um, and so that's the, the last of the, the sets of practices. I have to say that like enactment is really one of my favorite words when it comes to teaching. You have a lot of favorite words. I do, but I like, it's like really, it's delicious. It's a delicious Mm, word. Enactment. Enactment. When I hear it, it's like Mm -hmm. it, cause it, it's, uh, it's not about a performance, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cause like teaching or lecturing or all that stuff, that's, it's really comes down to the teacher centeredness, right? Mm -hmm. Enactment talks about it it being you know inclusive right coming back to yeah. that right it comes back to that 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 our students are involved in the process and i i really like that so that it seems very intentional on 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 this part and i think that's something that um is really important but i think also what's really important is the idea of making helping students make these evidence-based explanations that's a, that's a critical part of, of science but it's not just science it's you know i think i would argue it's for you know so much of what we do in, in education, right? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it is, you know, it should be the goal of, of all instruction is, well, maybe what we want to say is instead of um, explanations is that that ending is about um, engaging in, in the authentic practice, right? So for some areas, like we always talk about art here because you have an art colleague that occasionally right. listens, you know, art may not be explanation. It may be a different kind of performance, yeah. but there, but there is this sense of like the end product should be a performance by the student. Um, not a, um, I mean, I guess that sounds like a test too. So we have to be careful, but a, a, right. an authentic, let's call it an authentic performance, right? So a sure. test is not an authentic performance. A test is a school performance. Well, authentic to the discipline. Tests are very authentic to school. That's a lot of what school does. Um, but yeah, so I think, yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's an important 
thing to think about this as an act that teachers engage in, right? Or a practice as we talk about it, right? But that's why enactment versus what you'll hear a lot is, especially from people who design curriculum is something like implementation, right? And that feels much more um, uh, instrumental, right? The teacher is just doing the thing that you've asked them to do. They're implementing it as opposed to, like you say, enactment is much more of a, an interaction amongst humans. Right. And I think that, you know, when I'm, I, as I did some of the reading before this, like brushing back up on, on this stuff, it, a lot of the materials I see is about like the types of discourse that we as teachers should be engaged in, mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, asking questions. And this is, you know, I was saying before the episode that I had observed a teacher this week. And, you know, one of the things that I, you know, my, in my feedback to her was, in her observation was, you know, these, the questions, the follow-up questions that you ask for students, if you're engaging in, a dis- in the discussion is like, can you tell me more about that? These are the things that like you want to have in your pocket to help students like defend their ideas mm-hmm. and like, and to push on them a little bit is to tell me more about what you're thinking. Well, I, I don't know what you mean by that. Or like, mm-hmm. cause that's where like, you know, and if you just hold on to those in your back pocket, you know, whenever it comes up, like that's the kind of thing that leads to, you know, more engaged student thinking, right? Absolutely. And that, you know, with my students, I explicitly talk about that in the planning practice part, which is that, you know, you should be developing these back pocket questions when you're doing the planning. Now, that doesn't mean you'll use them all. And it doesn't mean they're even the right ones, especially if it's the first time that you're engaged in this particular phenomenon with a group of students, because that's usually how you learn what the back pocket questions are, what the key questions are. But Thinking through them in advance makes a huge difference just for you as a teacher because it gives you some grounding in how to talk with kids about these ideas. Yeah, and then connecting them back to the things that they've done, you know, yeah. pro- maybe in those prior stages and saying, hey, okay, so you, you, you threw this out idea. How does that idea connect to some of those things that we've done before? Like, okay, so we did this, you know, we, we talked to last episode about like the inclined plane thing. And, right. you know, and the, yeah. but like if you were to say, okay, hey, when we did that activity with inclined planes, like what does this have to do with that? Like, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, or draw on those experiences or those observations that you made there. And how does that, you know, inform or challenge your explanation here right yeah and i think so you've started to sort of give an overview of what this practice is about but really what this practice is about um is is exactly that which is that this idea that you're bringing together all of the pieces that you've engaged with over the over the scope of the unit um so you're starting with your initial explanation that was elicited early on and hopefully depending on the length of the unit you may have revisited a couple times as a class um and then you're also looking at all these interim uh activities that you engaged in that were part of supporting ongoing thinking um, to look at what evidence they bring to bear that can help you understand this larger phenomenon. And you're bringing all that together and redoing that explanation now that you have more experience and more things to draw on and you've done more thinking about this this area, right? Um, or this phenomenon. So that's really what this last activity is. It almost always involves a similar 
sort of activity structure to what you do in the beginning of the unit, which is to say you have kids in small groups working together to build an explanation. And then there is almost always some kind of assessment, and we can talk about that too. Um, and that, because we're in American schools, those typically are individual assessments, right? Kids have to do something um, right. to show that they understand or that they've engaged with this stuff. Um, and, you know, for for most of the ambitious science teaching folks that I work with, that final piece is almost always just an explanation of the phenomenon. And but then there's lots of ways to get at that. And we can talk about variations on how to do that and, and what kind of supports you put in place and all sorts of things like that. How critical is, is model making in this process? Because it seems to me that that is something that, you know, has come up a, a, a bit in, in some of the literature I looked at was, you know, that model, like either having the students do some drawn models or written models or, mm-hmm. or something. And w- we could probably do a whole episode just on models, right? Because that is su- such a huge part of, of science. And it's also a place where there's, you know, some misconceptions that are developed through those models or model, like, and I don't mean to use that term again, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I did, I caught myself though. Good but, man. But, but I think that there's um, some challenging activities that can be um, supported through models, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in science, in the science education literature, there's, you know, discussion of what it even, what is a model, like what constitutes a model in science. Um, And many people, myself included, would use explanation and models somewhat interchangeably. I mean, in the sense that um, an explanation can use pictures or other things um, as part of the explanation. And, you know, if you get really deep into the stack on models and you're talking about, well, are we talking about computational models? Are we talking about like uh, conceptual models? There's all sorts of ways to think about what models are, but, but ultimately models and explanations serve largely the same function in science, which is they're, they're sort of the thing that coalesces around um, how this phenomenon works and an articulation of that in a way that other people can use and understand it, right? So whether that's a, a long written sort of text-based thing or or a diagram with with lots of labels and text, or whether it's some combination of those things, um, that's that's sort of the end product that we're looking for is something that articulates kids' understanding of the phenomenon and as is named in the in the practice, draws on evidence. Isn't just like an out of my head explanation. This is right. well, we actually have some evidence for this stuff. Yeah, like I told you, my principal would always talk about the little men. That was his explanation yeah, for everything in physics. The little men, the little yeah. invisible men do this. Yeah. You know? okay. That's Amateur not really evidence for that. Right, exactly. No evidence. Um yeah, so I mean I think I think the the interesting thing in terms of this practice is really this issue of assessment, because I think it's the thing that most people who engage in ambitious science teaching grapple with the most. Um, because the while the practices are hard um, to learn, and I'm not trying to minimize that, there's a sense of Um, I don't know, like how to do that or that it's valuable or, but I think the more you do ambitious science teaching, the more you struggle with assessment because um, it feels like giving kids a letter grade or a number at the end of all this work seems um, 
you know, at best sort of counterproductive and at worst sort of unethical and damaging to the community, right? Right. Like to say, okay, Ali, I read your explanation. It's a B. It's like, oh, well, okay. So (laughs) thanks for that. Or we do the explanation and then we give them like a paper pencil test where they have to do multiple choice questions. Right. Which is, yeah. Common assessment. We have to do that common assessment because, you know, because otherwise, how are we going to compare to see whether Ollie and Scott are both doing a good job at teaching or whether it's just Ollie? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, and, and interestingly enough, this past week was when my my students uh, in, in the local middle school here um, were actually designing the assessment for their unit. So um, so the timing's good. So I got to hear some really interesting conversations about how do you think about assessment in these contexts? And and how do you scaffold students building explanations? And and scaffold is a term that gets thrown around a lot. Um, but I think in this context, they really are genuinely thinking about it that way in the sense that a scaffold is meant to be a structure that's temporary, that is removed over time mm-hmm. um, and isn't a permanent part of the structure of the assessment. Um, and one of the things that these the the middle school teachers I work with talk about is how over the year and actually for them over two years, they actually scaffold away a lot of the supports where by the end of eighth grade, really, they're just saying, here's the phenomenon. Give me your explanation. Um, but that's not where they start, especially in the beginning right. of the year. And then I think also, since this is part of the reason this podcast started in the first place, it's worth saying that. Um, the year of remote instruction or the year and a half of remote instruction has done real damage to kids' abilities to do this so that current eighth grade students who normally would have had a whole year of doing this practice with a teacher in classrooms didn't have that. And the eighth grade teachers really are noticing a big difference between the seven, them, the current crop of eighth graders and eighth graders in the past. Yeah, because while this is, in itself a a challenging way of seeing science education throw in a pandemic where all these students are moving to remote instruction where content right it was content it was all around how do we deliver content how do we you know get students to read stuff or how do we get students to watch videos it was all about or how do we lecture through zoom you know it was all about that so it became that least common denominator type of instruction where it wasn't enactment yep you know it's about content delivery yeah delivery yeah yeah absolutely and and what that means is that the students couldn't engage in these practices they were it was very hard to do authentic group work in these contexts you can do it and zoom allows for that and other online platforms allow for that but but it's very difficult to do the sorts of um of discourse practices that you want to see in a science classroom when you're in these remote environments. It just is. And that's, and so, so these students, you know, really um, are having to have a lot more support for their explanation building in eighth grade than they have had in the past because they just don't have the experience with it. I think it's, it's really novel that they're having that sort of, you know, thoughtful, intentional mapping, mm. not from a content standpoint, but in terms of, cause I mean, you, you know, any, you go to any school, they'll talk about content, content mapping, curriculum mapping, but they're doing it from, you know, making explanations, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. It is so, novel. It is novel. It is, 
it is a very different way to think about schooling and and it's a very different way to think about assessment right because yeah. they because they do have across the the middle schools because there are multiple middle schools they do have quote unquote common assessments but the common assessments are explain this thing right, right? <laughs> as opposed to here's a list of multiple choice questions as you said which is the much more common way to do a common assessment um yeah. is some like quote unquote rigorous uh multiple choice you know standardized exam so um so yeah i think you know it's fascinating to to see people um see people of good faith, right? Really struggle with how do you do a legitimate assessment of these things? And, and you, you know, you'll hear the mentor teachers and, and my students too, but particularly the mentors who've done this many years in, in a row, they say, look, by the time we get to the assessment, I know what these kids are thinking. I've been talking to them for two, three weeks about this stuff, right? right? So the assessment, like I know what Ollie thinks, generally speaking, like I know how much of this he sort of has a handle on and how much of it he's still struggling with. And so it's not the assessment has no purpose, but I think like one of the shifts that you see with, with these folks is a shift towards the idea that really the assessment is for the kids to bring all this stuff together, right? And so one of the things they really emphasize isn't the assessment itself, but is the, what they describe as the review, which is really the assembly of the explanation in small groups supported by the teacher in this sort of open community and the, the quote unquote assessment where the individual kids have to write their own explanation, that is less important to them because they know that that's not where the learning happens. The learning's happening where, when these right. kids are in groups and they're talking through like, well, wait a minute, we did this one thing with, with like the electrolysis of water. What does that got to do with anything? And you're like, oh yeah, that's good. Yeah. What was that? What was the evidence from that that we need to help us explain this thing? No, with, with do these assessments use like I don't know. I, I'm going to use this term uh, yeah. like tracking lots. Do they they do they say in your explanation you've got to use this terminology or you know like how to because I mean I, right. I, I, that's a that great question. Yeah, yeah, that, I, the, yeah. That's the sort of what are the scaffolds that are present is sort of right. what you're asking. That's yeah. exactly that's exactly the question I'm asking. Yeah, because you know, and or does it say you know be sure in your explanation to draw on these specific activities or these specific things that we've done right. to make sure that you, cause we, we want these explanations to be robust. Right. And, yep. and we, while we've been drawing on their terminology and their uh, discussions and the, and the things they've been, br they've brought to the table, we also want to like cycle back and, you know, have this explanation, right. That, you yep. know, kind of, pairs that stuff together, kind of going back to the Brian Brown stuff. Yeah. You know? No, I mean, this is, uh, I think you have hit on what is the fundamental debate in these assessments, which is how much and of what kind of support do you give kids right. so that they can build a robust explanation with the idea that, again, those things are going to fade over time, but especially in the beginning, they need more of those supports. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there are three, and you've named a couple, I'm just going to call them out specifically, um, sort of categories of support. So one is you can give them um, a list of concepts, right? So you could, you could have, and by concept, I shouldn't even use that word key terms, right? So we've, we've defined some key terms in, in this unit, right? For example, what it means for substances to be different or what a, what a chemical reaction is, right? Okay. So those terms or those ideas should be in your explanation. Then um, there are things that are much more, um, I don't know, subtle is the right word, but um, 
practical. I don't know what the word is, but one of the ones you mentioned is here's a list of the activities we engaged in, right? So here are the things, here's here are the things that you can bring to bear in terms of evidence when you're writing your explanation. And then a third piece is here are some things that you need to explain as part of your explanation, right? So this is things like, you know, explain how we know um, that that things can combine to form new things or how we know that things can break apart to form new things. Um, so, so not explaining that thing, but just reminding them, Hey, this is a piece of the explanation that you have to have. Um, and one of the, one of the big debates that happened this past week that I thought was really interesting. And that I, uh, that was powerful is the, the mentor teachers and the, and the, um, student teachers, the interns were having a conversation about this assessment, what to include. And one of the interns asked the a mentor teacher, like, well, what kind of questions do you typically get during the assessment? Like when kids are trying to do this and, and which ones, you know, and how do you answer them? Because they're, I think they were sure. struggling with that. Yeah. So the mentor teacher said, well, you know, honestly, if kids can't remember the specific evidence from, from an activity, I, I'll tell them that. Cause I don't, that's not, that's just remembering something. I'm not worried about that. And, and to be clear, all of these students are doing these assessments, open notebooks. So they have like a notebook that they bought. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So, um, but he, he said, I won't answer questions that are about the, you know, the reasoning and explanation part, like tying those things together. And so in response, one of the interns um, said to him, well, then shouldn't we just list all the evidence in the exam so that it just, so that we don't need to have kids worry about whether they remember the evidence. What we really want is their ability to tie that evidence together to build an explanation. So can't we just give them the evidence? And the mentor teacher sort of stopped for a second and he said, yeah, actually that makes a ton of sense. I'm totally in support of that. And so they changed the, the new version of the assessment that they're going to use this year is literally going to state all the evidence, not just here's right. the activity, but here's the actual evidence activity. we got. From activity that. and the evidence that we, you know, here's, here's what we observed. Right. And what would be cool if they, if the teachers did this and used the, the, the students own, you know, terminology or the, their own words in describing the evidence, right. That'd be really cool. Right. Yeah. And so that, so they typically, so this is another tension that you've, you've hit on, um, which is with all of these activities, particularly the one that they, the, the unit that's about energy, they, they let the kids define the terms initially using their own terminology. So right now the energy unit, like one class is oomph and one class is bam, right. To describe energy, right. So they're, uh, and at the end of the unit, the teacher sort of translates that into canonical language. Like, okay, when you guys were saying oomph, what you really meant was kinetic energy. And, right. and, and here, you know, and so they, they translate it and say, like, these terms that you've defined, we're going to give them the sciency name so you understand them or know them. Um, but then on the assessments, the teachers always allow the students to use either one, right? So they, if they use oomph instead of kinetic energy, as long as they use the, the concept correctly, then it's, it's cool. So, yeah, I think that's so, a good so the, point. They're, they're not concerned. And this is me being sarcastic. I yeah. want to point that out there. They're yeah. not concerned that somebody's going to go off to high school and call it oomph yeah, and they're right. in their high school physics class. And like, you know, yeah. the world it's, is going to fall apart because yeah. they, they don't know what kinetic energy is because right. they, yeah, it's like, phew, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, it, it is, uh, it is something that, I mean, your, your sarcasm is well-founded in that that is a legitimate, not a legitimate, but it is an objection that occurs, right? Which is that especially high school teachers, um, will say, well, wait a minute, if they don't know kinetic energy, then, then they don't understand the science. It's like, well, actually I would reverse that. Um, and say that the kids that I see in middle school actually understand what kinetic understand energy is. Science, right? They understand yeah. the science. They under, understand the underlying concepts there, and yeah. and the rest is just window dressing. Yeah, it's just a, it's just it's just the label on it, and right. and and the label covers up a lot of a lot of uh, misunderstandings. And I think that's a fundamental piece of this too. You know, one of the things that that you know we talk about all the time with ambitious science teaching is, you know. <sighs> We, we walk around talking to these kids and hear their ideas. And the first time we re- people really engage in this, they're always sort of surprised. Like, wow, kids have some really, both really cool and interesting ideas and also sort of pretty wacky and, and yeah. crazy ideas. And it's like, yeah, they do. And when you just lecture to them, you don't know about all that. And so what happens is they learn all the terms because they can memorize them, but all that sort of wacky thinking um, doesn't go away because it's not challenged. It's not engaged with, it's not, it's not surfaced. Um, and so, so you don't, you don't get a chance for them to develop more robust understandings because you've just given them all this gloss to, to cover over their misunderstandings with. So yeah, it's um, going back to back pocket questions. That was always one yes. of mine was when, when somebody said, you know, threw out a term for the first right. time, right? They said, oh, that's kinetic energy or that's yeah. momentum. Oh, it's inertia. I would just go, I don't know what you mean by that. Tell me what yeah. you mean. Yeah. And they're like, you know what I mean? It's kinetic yeah. energy. I'm like, no, energy. you're the one who used the term. What do you mean? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like kind of like, you know, uh, good fellows. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're funny. What yeah. do you mean? You call me a clown? <laughs> yeah. No, it's not. no, I'm not calling you a clown. I said you're funny. But, but it's like, if, if you're one of the listeners out there listening to this, you've made it to this part of the episode, ask your students, if students throw out that term, you know, they yeah. throw out some term for the first time, ask them what they mean. And you're going to find this, they're going to, first off, there's going to be this fear in their eyes. Like, yeah. uh, hold on. This, the game is I'm supposed to tell you the term and then you're supposed to just, you're supposed it. to nod. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's going to be like, Asking the follow-up question has changed the rules of the game, and that's right. where they realize it. It's like, yeah. oh, crap! Oh. <laughs> I got, I got to, I got to use words. I know what they mean now. I know. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that was the game. Oh, right. darn! Right. You know? Yeah. Well, a funny thing that they do in seventh grade at the end of the energy unit is before they tell them what the terms are, they give them a list of of physicsy terms. Right. So work, oh. energy, force, momentum, and, and then like, they well, ask them. Yeah. They ask them like, oh, what, what, so is cool. what is yeah, oomph? What is oomph? And they have no idea. They're like, which, which is an indication that they don't actually understand what energy right. is, right? Because right. if they actually understood a priori what energy was, then they'd be able to say, oh, after all this, now I understand this is energy. But they're like, well, I don't know, because they think force and momentum and energy and work and all this stuff means yeah. the same thing. All it's interchangeable. Like, yeah. There are no synonyms in science. So, Yeah. So yeah, I think um, I think the that's that's sort of the big pieces of of this final practice. Um, that said, I mean it is uh, it is a hard thing, especially the, again the first times the first couple times you're doing this to to help kids build up this final explanation, 
Um, and we talked a little bit about this the other day when we were talking about, you know, CER versus ERC, right? right? So this idea that really you start with the evidence and then the reasoning leads you to the claim. It's not that you start with the claim. Right. So um, so building that out and, and really having kids focus on the evidence when they're building their explanation and remembering what are the key parts that, you know, that they're trying to explain. So if we're trying to explain burned sugar, like what are the things that we're trying to explain? Well, well one of the key things is, is the stuff that's there still sugar or not? And how do we know? Right. So that's a that's, you got to look at that, but then you got to say, well, what is your evidence for that? You can't just say like, oh yeah, it's sugar or it's not sugar or it's burnt sugar or whatever. Like you have to dig into on a molecular level, what's happening and what evidence do we have to support that? So can I ask you a, a question? This is, I'm going to switch the gear a little bit, but it's going to stay yes. with, within the, this. I want to switch it just a, a, a touch to you as a science teacher educator. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cause this is the thing I always struggle with is whenever I'm giving feedback to my, you know, beginning teachers, my teacher candidates is like how much of this, you know, sort of like, how much do I tell versus how much do I like scaffold them to like, cause like with that, that teacher that I observed, you know, I, I, at this stage, I'm just giving like glows and grows. Like just, I mean, it's like mm -hmm. one of their first teaching, you know, demonstrations and, and it was like a mini lesson. Um, and so what I wanted to say was, well, how else could you ask those questions or what other questions could right. you ask to probe? But then I, I, I recognized that at this stage of their, you know, development as a teacher that they might not know what I meant without mm -hmm. like, you know, like, and so I guess that's the struggle for me is how much do I tell? Cause then I'm not like, then I'm going back to the thing. We're not, we're trying to tell teachers not to do. Right. 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 And that, but it also it's, I recognize that. Yeah. I mean, that's the challenge for me. You get it. You yeah, get what I'm saying. I totally right? get it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we've transitioned to that I'm really happy about um, is, is the idea of treating lessons when the interns, well, actually when the mentors are teaching too, but also when the interns particularly are, are teaching is treating them as rehearsals, right? Which is to say, we do things like what are called teacher timeouts, right? And anybody can call a teacher timeout in the room. So the I, I have heard from colleagues where students do this, but I've not, I, I haven't actually, I don't think I've ever wow. seen that. But what, what we do have is like the intern or the mentor teacher will say like, hold on, teacher timeout. And then either out loud in front of the kids or um, sort of in a side conversation, there'll be a conversation about, well, hold on, like you just asked this question and it seems like you're headed down this road. Is that, are you sure that's where you want to go? Can we go. talk through right. that and make a plan? And then you sort of say, okay, timeout's over and, the and you go back to teaching. Um, and when I started doing this, when I was doing peer teaching at the university, so before we were in the schools, it was hard for me, even though it was peer teaching. Like I felt like I've got to watch them play out the whole lesson and then talk to them that, you know, like you're saying at the end, you right. sit down and do the reflection. And, you know, what I realized after a little bit of doing this is that's counterproductive because yeah. you're basically watching them do it wrong and letting that whole thing play out. And then at the end, not wrong, but like you're, you, they're, they're 
uh, opportunities for learning that are being missed, right? In the same way that you want to press and probe kids' explanations, you want to press and probe your own students' thinking about their teaching. And the only way to do that is in the moment or as close to the moment as you can get. Now, it doesn't mean you want to turn every lesson into like every five seconds you're doing a timeout. Yeah, but like red light, green light. Yeah. And, and you can also, I mean, that's the extreme example. The, the less extreme example is, you know, after they've done a thing and they're starting to walk around and talk to groups or they've talked to one individual group and you hear what they say, you pull them aside and just say, hey, let yeah. me give you a, let me tune you up a little and let's talk about this and then head back out and either go back to that group you're just talking to or go to a new group and try a new thing. And, but, um, but I think that's, you know, for me, that's one of the glorious pieces about being in a school with students um, is that you can do that kind of rehearsal work with actual kids where you're like, okay, like that last group, the question you asked seemed to sort of kill the conversation rather than encourage it. So let's talk about what happened there and think through, and then maybe you can go back and ask a different question and see how that goes. Yeah, the- it's it reminds me of a I went to a, a conference, I guess, maybe about a year or two ago um, where this was the the idea was about reflection in action versus reflection on action. Right. And so having. People, yeah. Where, where you are like actually in the practice of teaching, like while you're doing it. And there was some folks, I think they were from someplace in maybe New York city, maybe I, mm-hmm. I, it's, I'm drawing a blank as to where yeah. the actual institution is. I could probably take out my notes, but um, where they had done this with teacher candidates, where they had them actually teaching and they might've either had a, like, like a little thing in their ear, like a little, you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. I've seen and that. Would say, like, yeah. Yeah. Where they were like, have you, have you thought about asking this question? Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so giving them because that's when the stuff has to happen. Cause like, you know, I, and I think I mentioned this last uh, episode was there was, I was observing, you know, some questioning and I was like, that was the question you should have led with. Or when they were like going, I'm like, well, why don't they ask this question? They should ask mm-hmm. this question now. But then after it was done, then it was like, it was, it's too late. Like, and they may never do that lesson again. And right. so how are they going to, and we're, what we're hoping to do is that they develop those, those, not just the back pocket questions, but also the awareness of like asking the questions in the moment that mm-hmm. help them, you know, help the students like develop their understanding and help them like, you know, really craft, like, you know, the development of students, right. right. And their understanding and all that. And asking questions is really, really important. I think it's yeah. probably, I, I, I'm going to say, and I, the, you know, the teacher 30 years ago that I was probably wouldn't have agreed with this, but asking questions is probably the most critical thing teachers do. Yeah, no, it's true. Absolutely. Good questions. And it's how you guide conversation. It's how you do a good job of guiding conversation. I mean, you know, to take a step back to the, to the idea of the in-ear, because I've seen that like in-ear coaching sort of thing. Um, You know, for me, from a learning theory point of view, um, that doesn't actually, you know, it may help the pre-service teacher do better in the moment. I don't think it helps them learn why what they did is better. So they become sort of like a marionette on the, you know, there's like an expert teacher who's saying, oh, now it'd be a good idea for you to say, you know, blah. And I think that's different than having a conversation with the student and talking through like, okay, here's, you know, what are you trying to accomplish here? Let's think about this. You know, what, what, you know, what, what do you think happened? Right. 
you know, to your point about reflection and action, I don't think what you described, and I'm not, this is not a judgment of you. I think this is a judgment of the, of the folks doing that is I don't think what you described in terms of like in ear sort of coaching is actually reflection and action. It's some different thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, um, so, so I think there's incredible value in, in these teacher timeouts. And like I said, you know, I, I saw, um, I have been told stories of classrooms where this is where this kind of thing's happening regularly, like the the middle school where I work, where a kid actually said, hold on, I want to call a teacher timeout because I have a question for the teachers that's about the teaching. That's not about the science. Wow. And so that's when, you know, like you're doing something right. Right. When the kids yeah. are actually understanding that this is a learning environment, not just for them, but for the teacher. For everybody. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, I think that's pretty cool, but yeah, I think that's the way to, to try and get at that issue. I think it's hard. Um, but you can do it with, with peer teaching in your classroom in the same way. It, it's just, um, well, maybe it's even more valuable to some degree. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a tightrope, um, or a tension. I don't know which one's more valuable, but you know, in a classroom where everybody's a teacher or a beginning teacher, then having that kind of conversation, maybe everybody learns from it. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. I th- rehearsals. So um, Magdalene Lampert, Elham Kazmi um, have both written really nice articles about rehearsals and, and their use in teacher education. So I crib from them heavily. Um, also, Jessica Thompson at Washington, um, uh, you know, good, good people who've done good research and thinking about this. So it's not just just name drop after name, name drop. drop right there. Well, you know, right there. I, I didn't say they were all buddies of mine. I'm just saying those are people who do good work. Yeah, there's lots of people who do good work, but those they, specifically, those they folks do, there. They do rehearsals. They, you can read stuff from them about rehearsals, which yeah. uh, is, is a useful we'll teacher them, education practice. We'll put those in the show notes. How about that? Oh, yeah. look at you. Yeah, look making promises. Mm-hmm. I like it because it's an odd number, so you've got to actually put them. <laughs> it is 59, right? We're in episode 59. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's, see, that's a little, that's inside the show. That's really inside. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> What's in the show is in the show. Yeah, that's funny. All but, right, so Joyce, 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 are we ready for some Joyce? I think we're ready so, for some Joyce. You got something? Yeah. Or I, I got something, but but I, I feel like the tradition is that that you go first. So I'd like you to go first. No, it's you not know? a tradition. Well, it's just uh, is you, it? I, I don't know. I think I think you um you you have you are enthusiastic about your joys always. Well, so, I I which is good. That's how joy should be. They should be a yeah. thing that like. You get out of the morning, you're like, I get up in the morning, you're like, I got a joy that I got to share. I just, I got a song. I got to sing. <laughs> I just live joyfully as much as yes, I can. So true. Know? And I try to suck the marrow out of life. And oh, so, good one. Nice. Yeah. Nice so that's point. what I try to okay. do. So, so give it, give it. Uh, all right. So I was uh, with my son about two weeks ago, maybe a, what, about a week ago, walking in Target. And I stopped in my tracks and I was like, oh, there's a new Colson Whitehead book. And so mm. I grabbed it at Target because I love me some Colson Whitehead. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with Nickel Boys or yeah. the Underground Railroad. He's got a yeah. he, controversial call to uh, to admire a multiple Pulitzer Prize winning. <laughs> right. <hawk>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm really going off here. Like, you know, you know daring. <laughs> <laughs> I like that director, Steven Spielberg. He seems to do pretty good work. Yes. There's this writer. I don't know if you heard of him, but Shakespeare, you know anything about him? I discovered this guy. (laughs) 
Yeah, but I, I picked it up because I enjoyed those two books so, so much. They were such good reading. And the new one, Harlem Shuffle, is great. It's set in the 60s in, in Harlem um, with this, you know, there's it, kind of a crime that happens and this guy gets pulled into it. And it, it's just, you know, I, I, I'll, I'm going to throw a second joy because only because these two things are kind of intersecting. I'm going to do it because they're they're in very different period uh, different places in the united states but they kind of in the same sort of like genre is they did a reboot of the wonder years that just came out just like maybe mm-hmm. a handful of weeks ago and it's set in in like mississippi and like right after like i think the first episode happens right after uh, martin luther king is assassinated or right during that mm-hmm. um spoiler right. alert that happened spoiler. First yeah. spoiler um but uh so these two things are happening in at like a kind of the same time period in the United States. And so it's just kind of neat how, you know, this time period, you know, that like sixties in different places, in the United States in with, with, you know, African-Americans, both these, uh, the protagonists and both the, and the wonder years and in uh, the Harlem shuffle are, are African-American men. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, I mean, in wonder years, it's just like a 12 year old boy or something, yeah, but still, sure. um, it's just it's just fascinating. It's a fascinating read. It's a fascinating, you know, the Wonder Years. I love the original, and but I, it's just you know kind of a cool intersection um, that these are both happening at the same sort of time, um, nice. different lenses and on that time period. Yeah. Nice. All right. Yeah. Harlem Shuffle by Carl- almost Col- unknown author. <laughs> I think this guy's going to be something. I think Colson White. I think he's going to. Yeah. <laughs> note, note it now. This guy right. might have a future as an author. Could be. <laughs> right okay um so my joy is uh is more like uh an activity like a category i can't recommend a specific thing for this one but i'm going to recommend uh body work slash massage therapy sort of uh, yes. so i just like i <clears throat> i um i had a guy here who was a rolfer who i went to for years in in state college he left me to go work at the Rolfing Institute in in, uh, in Boulder. Shame on him because it took me years to find somebody else that that you're I lost, liked. man. You're I lost. Know, it was brutal. It was brutal. But I believe I have now found somebody who uh, who can help me again. And it, I just think like it is an underappreciated thing to go spend some time. Have and I'm not talking most of the stuff that I have done is not like relaxing, like they're just sort of rubbing your back. Um, this is usually pretty, um, you know, in- intentional Impressive. to try. Yeah. But intentional to try and, and cure my ills because I'm an old man and I'm break my body's breaking down. And so you need to, you need to do stuff to maintain it. So, um, <clears throat> so find a local person that can, you know, that you like, and that seems to help you. And, uh, you know, it's a good way to, it's a good way to spend an hour or half an hour or whatever, and, uh, time and money well spent. So absolutely. That's one of the things that I maybe about four or five years ago, I started going to a massage therapist on, on the regular and, uh, she needed to shut down because of the, uh, the pandemic and yep. she started opening back up with some, you know, pretty serious, you know, um, you know, precautions, like we had to wear yep. masks, we have to do, you know, things you have to, you know, show vaccinations and all that, but, I am so happy to be back doing yeah. it because it's, it's a, um, yeah, it's, it's a curative thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, well, yeah, I mean, your body gets out of alignment. You do, you do sort of little bits of damage to your body every day with, you know, little things. And, and frankly, I just had a, a small biking accident where I went over the handlebars and sort of landed funny on Ooh. my, 
on my head and neck. And so my neck was sort of not, you know, not in great shape. So it was good to see somebody and have her sort of sort me out. So, wow. Well, yeah. go so, off, get a, uh, pick up the Colson Whitehead book, go off, get some yeah. massages and get, get some massages. Don't have a bike accident first. Just go and get yeah. a massage. Just do None it. Of that. Yeah. yeah. There's that. All right. Awesome. I think that's well, it. That's it. That's it. Hey, that's it. see you yeah. next time.